Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, West Meets East, Integrating Eastern Philosophies with Western Approaches for Managing Chronic Hepatitis B, is brought to you through the joint providership of Chinese Hospital and the Asian Health Foundation, and is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, Please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, I am Mindy Nguyen, Professor of Medicine at Stanford University. Today, I would like to welcome everyone and thank you for participating in this educational program by Asian Health Foundation. We are excited to present and discuss this topic, West Meets East for Hepatitis B because the vast majority of hepatitis B patients in the world, as well as in the U.S., are from East Asia. We would like to focus on the Eastern and Western approaches to the management of hepatitis B. Uh, I would like to introduce our uh, distinguished faculty, Dr. Joseph Lim, Director and Professor of Medicine from Yale University, Dr. Jian San, a longtime hepatitis B care provider and CEO of Chinese Hospital in San Francisco, and Dr. Danny Chu, a longtime hepatitis B and leader in the uh, Chinese community in New York area. We will have three uh, topics today. One is understanding hepatitis B from Eastern Western perspective by Dr. Joseph Lim, herbal therapy and acupuncture versus pharmacotherapy for Hep B with Dr. Jianzan and the impediments to Hep B care discussion by Dr. Danny Chu. So I would like to uh, first ask Dr. Joseph Lim if you could give us an overview of the epidemiology of hepatitis B and what are some of the Eastern and Western perspectives uh, with patients with hepatitis B. Absolutely. Thanks very much for the opportunity to share some thoughts about this very important topic. I think we all recognize that uh, we need to be very mindful of the cultural differences and perspectives in how we approach human health and specifically chronic hepatitis B infection. As noted, uh, the hepatitis B epidemiology is notable for global burden of approximately 290 million persons. Of this group, uh, we believe that about 2 million persons infected here within the United States. And within this group, within the U.S., a significant proportion of these individuals are believed to be foreign-born. Recent estimates by NHANES epidemiologic surveys suggest an overall seroprevalence of approximately 0.35%, which constitutes approximately 1.15 million persons. Now, we recognize that NHANES is not optimal for estimation of chronic infections because it excludes some of the highest-risk populations. And in this context, a number of imputation studies suggested that if you take in consideration foreign-born persons, the true burden of chronic hepatitis B may be as high as 2.2 million persons. Our recent consensus conference estimates suggest an overall burden of approximately 1.6 million persons with an upper interval up to about 2.5 million persons. Now, we recognize that the reason why we care about hepatitis B and the ultimate implication is that a significant proportion, up to one in four, may die of liver disease and or liver cancer. Because of the unique relationship between chronic hepatitis B and carcinogenesis with hepatocellular carcinoma, hepatitis B is the number two carcinogen in the world after tobacco, and approximately 70% of all hepatitis B-related deaths are attributable to liver cancer. Now, if you take a deeper look into the epidemiology among U.S. Uh, individuals with chronic HBV, we see a disproportionate burden to ethnic groups, specifically 
among Asian Americans and non-Hispanic Blacks. We estimate that about 70% are foreign-born and are predominantly Asian, about 60% of that group. Now, if you look at the uh, comparison to the general population, again, two groups um, are higher than the general population, including Asians, about eightfold the general prevalence, and non-Hispanic Blacks, about twofold general prevalence. And as expected, there are some differences between U.S.-born and foreign-born persons. Now, as we think about this uh, burden of disease that is concentrated in foreign-born persons, predominantly from the Asian continent, we must take into consideration differences in perspectives in our care of these patients. Eastern medicine approaches, such as Chinese medicine and complementary and alternative medicine, have been used for centuries. And the theoretical foundations really stem from ancient philosophies that rely on two therapeutic approaches of holism and syndrome differentiation. And it's important to note that the human body is not viewed uh, as an entity in which there are organs that are working interdependently, uh, but really a, a part of a global universe in the interaction between human and the surrounding environment. And in this context, human illness is actually viewed uh, not in terms of dysfunction of organ systems, but in an imbalance of yin and yang. Now, chronic hepatitis B and liver disease broadly do not easily fit within the definitions of traditional Chinese medicine. However, the components that are linked to chronic hepatitis B include the following concepts. Number one, weakening of qi, which are biological substances and activities that preserve life. Number two, blockage of meridians, which are, represent circulation channels of qi by blood stasis. And number three, generation of dampness and heat, which suggests inflammatory pathogens. Now, and in this context, we need to highlight that this directly influences many of our patients in terms of how they view their health, specific to hepatitis B and liver disease. Whereas in the West, we view the body as a machine, in the East, it's viewed as a garden. In the West, we view hepatitis B and liver disease as a diseased organ rather than weakening of the chi in the East. If we look at hepatitis B as a blockage of meridians, liver inflammation in the West, generation of heat in the East. And this directly influences therapeutic approaches. So in the West, we focused on pharmacologic therapy with antivirals with oral nucleoside or nucleotide analogs. Whereas in the East, the focus on restoration of balance of pathogenic and hepatogenic qi, including a focus on nutrition, herbal therapies, and acupuncture. Now, it, we do need to keep in mind that a lot of these traditional Chinese medical approaches uh, have not until recently been validated using traditional Western scientific approaches. But there is an abundance of growing literature, particularly within the ten, last 10 years, to support the physiologic basis of traditional Chinese medicine. And therefore, this has renewed interest in drug development of herbal entities. And we are very excited that there have been important advances in the validation of the inflammatory, antioxidant, and antifibrotic product properties of some of these key herbal components of traditional Chinese medicine and, uh, and herbal therapies. There remain important challenges in drug development, predominantly due to the isolation and purification of the individual components of herbal therapies. Uh, but we know that with increasing attention, support by the NIH, and rigorous methodology and clinical trial development, we do anticipate that some of these traditional approaches uh, may be validated using Western scientific methodology. Now, if you think about modern medicine in the West, we think about the slide here on towards the left bar. We think about the treatments like pegylated interferon, oral nucleoside nucleotide analogs such as entecavir and tenofovir. And on the right, we look at the approach in Eastern medicine, which focuses on manipulative body-based therapies, diet, herbal medicines, and uh, vitamins, 
and think about uh, homeopathy, naturopathy, and acupuncture. These are fundamental differences in perspectives and approach to therapy between the East and West. Now, I want to highlight that this is not something that is concentrated in a very small proportion of patient hepatitis B. We believe that up to 70%, based on current studies, of patients with chronic hepatitis B use complementary and oral term medicines. Therefore, it is important that we as clinicians routinely query our patients about the use of complementary oral term medicines or traditional Chinese medicine in our evaluation of patients. We need to have careful, uh, mindful discussions with patients about what we know about the safety and efficacy of these approaches. And I believe that we must think about these as complementary approaches between East and West so we can augment our understanding of these different perspectives to improve the quality of care of patients with chronic hepatitis B. So in conclusion, I hope I've been able to articulate that hepatitis B remains a very common global and local public burden with substantial morbidity and mortality due to its link to liver cirrhosis and liver cancer. Although current Western therapies are highly effective in suppression of HPV DNA with improvement in clinical outcomes, we must recognize that Eastern medicine approaches remain commonly used in our patients with chronic HPV, particularly in those from Asian communities. Therefore, clinicians should routinely clear their patients regarding their use of these therapies and counsel them regarding known safety and efficacy. It is quite clear that additional investigation is needed to further define the potential utility of traditional Chinese medicine and complementary alternative medicines in future treatment of chronic hepatitis B. Thank you very much, Mindy, for uh, this opportunity. Thank you so much, Dr. Lim. That was very clear and helpful review and discussion of the foundational differences in the Eastern and Western approaches to uh, hepatitis B management uh, and perspective that is very helpful for care. Now, I would like to turn this to Dr. G.M. Zan uh, in regards to the complementary uh, care approach to hepatitis B. Uh, as Dr. Lim already alluded to, uh, uh, these would be herbal medication, uh, acupuncture. Could you give us more um, information on some examples of herbal medicine acupuncture versus uh, the Western traditional um, pharmacotherapy for hepatitis B. Thank you very much, Dr. Nun. I'll talk a little bit about uh, herbal therapy and acupuncture versus uh, pharmacotherapy in treatment of uh, chronic hepatitis B in the United States. Sadly, only 18.6% uh, of chronic hepatitis B are diagnosed with very low treatment rate of only 5.7% here. I want to point that out. And in the United States, there is a lot of herbal medicine was used about 30 to 50%, and more so in China and in Taiwan with 80%. Uh, so a lot of our patients are using herbal medications, uh, even those not approved, but called supplements. So the goals of uh, pharmacotherapy in uh, chronic hepatitis B, the primary goal is to sustain suppression of viral replication. And the secondary goals achieve clinical remission, uh, which include uh, AOT uh, normalization, loss of uh, hepatitis BE antigen and uh, uh, surface antigen, and stabilize uh, liver uh, function, and also to prevent uh, or delay progression to uh, cirrhosis and liver cancer. Oh, therapy in chronic hepatitis B, there are no herbal treatment 
proven to improve outcomes in uh, patients with chronic hepatitis B. I know that there are a lot of uh, studies, but a lot of them are full qualities and no control and protocol. That's why uh, some of the medicines can cause a serious uh, liver toxicity. And uh, because it's not really uh, going through uh, clinical trials, a lot of them it's considered a food supplement. I had a patient who took um, uh, the food supplements and it really caused the elevation of uh, uh, liver enzyme and ended up in the hospital. Herbal treatments are not recommended for patients with chronic hepatitis B. A lot of patients can just buy it uh, in the market. So that's why that uh, it's really widely used by our patients. Acupuncture in uh, treatment of uh, chronic hepatitis B are very common too. It really was first uh, documented long, long time ago, over 100 uh, years BC, in the Yellow Emperor's uh, Classic of Internal Medicine. And so they widely used in clinical practice in a lot of the uh, Asian uh, countries to decrease discomfort, relieve symptoms like uh, loss of appetite and nausea, uh, right upper quotient discomfort, uh, typical uh, chronic hepatitis B uh, symptoms. Acupuncture can de- increase uh, blood uh, leukocyte counts, increase uh, uh, blood natural killer cell count and activity, and improve uh, erythrocyte immune function and reduce uh, uh, TNF, alpha, and uh, interleukin-1 uh, beta in the serum. Acupuncture is very commonly used in, in, in China. So I have visited many clinics there and here in the United States too. So if you would like to look into this uh, Cochrane study by uh, Kong and, and colleagues, they talk about uh, eight randomized clinical trials with 555 patients all in China and compared acupuncture therapy versus uh, no intervention. Again, a lot of the studies they use have said that there's some improvement in patients' symptoms and then some increase of the conversion of uh, uh, hepatitis B e-antigen. But a lot of the studies are not really well controlled. So that's why uh, some of them were saying that they have some reduction in uh, detectable hepatitis B DNA levels. And because there's uh, no uh, strict control, so we really don't know whether it's uh, uh, acupuncture or it's uh, other treatments there. The the antiviral therapies we know it's proven to decrease uh, rates of uh, liver cancer, cirrhosis and decompensation and uh, and, and mortality. It's uh, a lot of studies. In summary, I really would like to uh, point out that uh, the effects of acupuncture for chronic hepatitis B is not clear and more controlled studies to be uh, done to prove that. And benefits of herbal treatments of chronic hepatitis B is not proven. And so I think, again, more controlled studies should be done. And, and not, not that just that, that it's not helpful. Some of them are really harmful because uh, it really can cause a liver toxicity. And a certain herbal treatments can cause uh, a life-threatening liver failure. And so really not uh, 
recommended at this point. I know a lot of patients say, I want to try. They really should talk to their doctors and uh, make sure that severe liver failure is not going to happen. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Zen, for giving us a very comprehensive and detailed review uh, of this very important topic. Many of our patients uh, use it and many believe in it even more than the Western medicine that we are uh, familiar with. Next, I want to ask Dr. Chu if uh, you could help review for us the current barriers for hepatitis B care because the barrier is not just financial, as many people may think. Data from even uh, patients with private insurance in the U.S. show that only about 20% of the U.S. hepatitis B patients have been diagnosed, and even patients with very severe complications like cirrhosis and liver cancer, only about one-third or one-half um, have received treatment. Uh, so, Dr. Chu, could you uh, help us uh, understand more of the barriers and uh, how uh, we could uh, help uh, overcome some of these? Great. Thank you very much. I've been practicing in, in New York City, Chinatown for about 25 years. Uh, a lot of the subject matter is uh, something I've, I've experienced, so maybe I can share some of that thoughts uh, on the impediments to hepatitis B care. Well, the first thing is there's a lot of misconception and there's reality. So whenever I see a patient, I try to gauge the understanding. First thing I ask is, how do you get hepatitis? And sure enough, a lot of people say, well, you get it through uh, sharing food utensils. In fact, some family members will say, I have my own bowls in the house. Well, the reality is that it is transmitted through blood and body fluid and sex. I tell them that you can share the forks and knives, but don't share the razors and the toothbrushes and have your family members test it because of obviously they should be either immunized or they should be to make sure they're not a carrier. Uh, the second thing they always talk about is that, uh, well, my mother has it, I have it, so it must be inherited. The reality is that it is not a genetic disease, but it is something that can be given through vertical transmission. So that's something I go through with them again, just to educate them. Uh, the third thing is they feel like, well, I have no symptoms. So why do, do I really have hepatitis B? And I think that uh, they associate jaundice with liver diseases, but, I, but the reality is that that only occurs with acute symptoms. But when I try to explain to them you have chronic hepatitis B, you will be asymptomatic. And for that reason, you should be followed with the doctor to make sure that your liver enzymes and your virus levels are okay. The last thing that they don't understand is that they don't think there's a treatment available. What I tell them is that the reality is that there is treatment. But I go further and say that there is no cure, especially if you're any type of antiviral, there is no cure. And the fact that some doctor may give you medicine for three months, well, you can't stop it after three months. You have to continue taking it. So these are the couple of points that I try to explain to the patient so that we can at least get to the where they can understand it. One of the biggest things is education, trying to educate the patient from day one when you start seeing the patient to gauge what they know and try to supplement what they know with some information so they can at least go home uh, understanding a little bit about hepatitis B. Now, after talking about the misconception, there's a lot of bad perceptions about hepatitis B. So here we have a, a survey that was done in rural China, about 6,000 people or family were looked at. And this is a study from 2016. So this is now from 1980s, right? You find there's a lot of people who are unwilling to accept gifts from hepatitis B carrier, which is about 67%. About 78% of the family will not permit their children to play with hepatitis B carrier. 72% will not have dinner with hepatitis B carrier at this point. And about 61% of the people will not even touch uh, the patient with hepatitis B, whether it be a hug or a handshake. And then how about self-perception? Uh, what do patients themselves think uh, about hepatitis B? 
a lot of them, more than 58% think that hepatitis B brings trouble to the family. 36% think they should avoid close contact with other family. And 33% think they're not a desirable spouse. I just had this last week where a man and a woman were going to get married. The man was here to see me for hepatitis B. And I said, have your family members tested? And the, the, the woman goes, well, I can't tell my family member because if, if they know he has hepatitis B, uh, they won't let me marry him. Well, that's a real thing that's happening these days. So these are uh, some of the perceptions. Uh, obviously, people that have experienced discrimination from employees from having hepatitis B, so they don't want to reveal that because that will be uh, something that employers can use against them. Now, again, in, in Asian country, a lot of hepatitis B institutional stigma. In China, admission has been denied to school and university because you have hepatitis B. Uh, there have been unfair treatment from employers. In fact, it's only in, in, in the 2000s, 2007, there's anti-discrimination legislation to end termination of worker with hepatitis B. In 2010, they banned testing for hepatitis B before starting school or work. So this is actually some of the stuff that people experience as they're living in, in, in this Asian country. Uh, I have a patient who comes and see me from uh, Minnesota every six months. And he speaks perfect English, so he doesn't have to come and see me for hepatitis B, but he does it because of, he owns two restaurants and he doesn't want the health department to know he has hepatitis B because he's fearful that they're gonna shut his restaurant down. So there's a lot of uh, uh, stigma that's attached to that. Now you would think in the community setting, uh, maybe with maybe the socioeconomic status and language barrier would uh, hinder them from understanding hepatitis B. But if you look at even American college students who are Asian, uh, here's a study with 258 students, and you ask them questions, and only 22% of them knows that it is not hereditary. So 78% doesn't know. 61% believe that you can get it from share utensil, and only 50% knew that you can get it from uh, sex and blood. So the last few slides are trying to raise the point that we do need to do a lot of education in the community setting with our Asian patients. Now, what does that mean? Well, all this means is you get some clinical consequences, right? So if there's a negative perceptions, you don't understand what's going on, then you don't want to be tested. And if you don't want to be tested, there's obviously going to be a delay in hepatitis B diagnosis, which leads to continued transmission of hepatitis B from person to person. And if you don't know you have the disease, then you can't really monitor and manage your disease well. And there's a delay in treatment. And as Joe said, the first time you, even, you may even find out you have hepatitis B is when you have right upper quadrant pain, you do a sonogram, you may find out you have liver cancer, which obviously what people usually die from progression of the disease from liver cirrhosis and cancer. So as a whole, uh, we want to catch the disease early. So we, we don't want to have these problems with mortality and cancer and cirrhosis. Now, we can go back and say, well, these are the patients. How about the people who provide the care uh, are they up to par? Uh, this is a study uh, done where surveys were mailed to Asian primary care doctors or, or healthcare provider who takes care of more than 25% Asian patients. And, and about 95% of the, of, the, of the healthcare providers said, oh, they screen patients with hepatitis B. Uh, but if you ask them, they routinely, they routinely screen all their patients, only 20% does. And if you ask them, if you routinely screen all of the Asian patients, only 50% of the uh, uh, primary care doctors or healthcare providers says yes. And you know, if you follow the CDC guideline, anything with a prevalence of greater than 2% needs to be screened. So I'm gonna guess that 50% is a little bit too low. It should be close to probably 90 to even 99%. And if you ask the question, what's the reason for hepatitis B screening tests in Asian patients, 26% said it was from elevated liver tests. 
and 21% said elevated liver tests plus a family history of hepatitis B or liver diseases. Again, when you have elevated LFTs and you're, you're doing uh, further testing, it's not screening anymore, really. You're trying to make a diagnosis. Screening means you're just testing all the at-risk population. 18% of the doctors screen patients born outside the United States, right? That should be even be higher, as I said, uh, if you have Asian patients who are born outside the United States, if you, a lot more should be tested. Uh, in terms of the most important reason for not ordering a screening test for Asian patients, while well, 23% said they're not considered to be at risk group for hepatitis B. Now, 16% said they have no symptoms of liver diseases. Again, uh, they have their own misconception. Why would you not screen somebody when they're uh, at risk group and only test people who have symptoms? The third thing is that, uh, 15% said, well, they've had the vaccination series. Well, in my practice, I always test the people with vaccination series anyway, because you want to know if they're immune. But in certain country, they just give vaccine without testing for if you're a carrier or not. So sometimes people who are, are hepatitis B carrier are getting vaccine, which are going to work anyway. So they should be tested. And only 13% of the people says, well, I'm not testing the Asian patient because they have no insurance. Well, as you know, these tests are pretty cheap. Uh, you can probably do surface antigen antibody tests for less than $30 with uh, some of the uh, commercial labs that you can make a deal with. So that shouldn't be an excuse. So we really also need to educate our primary care doctor who care for our Asian patients so that a lot more patients are being tested. As my previous colleagues mentioned, a lot more people are left undiagnosed. Now, if you happen to get the patients diagnosed and get them to the point where they're going to get treated, one of the biggest problems is non-adherence. I mean, I don't think non-adherence is really unique to just hepatitis B. I think that it applies to diabetes, high blood pressure. People stop the medicine, they, they, they skip a few days. Well, the problem with hepatitis B is that if you do that, then there's always a risk of resistance. There's a survey of chronic hepatitis B on what is the barrier to treatment, about 300 patients, and they found out that medication is expensive and about close to 50%, uh, 45% said forgetfulness. Uh, I always tell my patient to tie that hepatitis B medicine to the toothpaste so they, when they brush the teeth, they can take one. There's a lot of concern of side effects. They're, they're concerned about certain medication with kidneys and with bones and whatnot. But I think that goes along with also with uh, education. And some people are, are non-adherence because they don't want other people to know. So there is a lot of misconception, a lot of negative perceptions. Uh, and I think that comes from the fact uh, is, is because there's, a, there's a, a gap in hepatitis B knowledge. Hepatitis B is not a national health a priority issue like HIV. Because of that, there's lack of education and funding. Uh, lack of media coverage, you know, in, in, in certain country, Asian country, a certain star has hepatitis B, they'll do a lot of public service announcement, but we don't have that. A lot of the hepatitis B, the formal education is not integrated at school. I asked my daughter about hepatitis B and uh, they don't have that in school. Only 14 states require hepatitis B vaccine before start of school and only eight states mandate hepatitis B education. So I think one of the biggest thing we can do is that once the person is in front of you, as a captive audience, I think the most important thing is not just give the medication, say, take it, but I think you have to sit there and really uh, try to understand what they're understanding hepatitis B and try to help them understand uh, a little bit better. And I think that goes a long way in helping uh, them be more uh, compliant with medication. And hopefully, as this topic says, bring the Eastern philosophy closer to the Western perspectives and treatment. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Chu. 
And I would like to thank again our faculty, Dr. Joseph Lim, Dr. Chiang Zen, and Dr. Danny Chu for reviewing with us very important foundational differences in the Eastern and Western approaches. I also would like to thank our viewers, um, and we hope that uh, the information we presented uh, today uh, will be helpful uh, to you and your patients in your practice. Uh, as uh, Dr. Chu uh, pointed out, there are much to be done, both at the health policy level as well as at the individual doctor's patient. So uh, we all can do uh, more one at a time. And thank you again so much for joining us. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided through the joint providership of Chinese Hospital and the Asian Health Foundation and is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.